Okay, this is our Bible study for, what's the date today? I don't even know the date. <laughs> the 17th of uh, July, 19, uh, 2006. And um, we're going to talk today, a little email that I had popped out. I did a Bible study. I had a lady that uh, had emailed me in regard to uh, when I spoke on this Avion flu tour. She had emailed me in regard to... Uh, um, that she felt as though I, we, we were talking about Bush and Cheney, and she said, "Oh, my, my pastor loves them, and, and I can't say anything about them, and 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 you can't tell them anything about them. It doesn't matter. It's like don't don't confuse me with the facts. My minds are made up." And uh, she said, and then she said at the end of it, she says, "Do you think God even here's here's our prayers anyway?" And something to that effect, and and I I was like. It was disturbing. You know, it's as though, yes, we're just powerless vessels as Christians roaming around and, and just waiting for the end to come. I, I don't look at it that way. I don't. I, I think that, that uh, the Lord is going to take His faithful remnant when this all starts getting bad. He's going to use them. <clears throat> now, the ones that have proven year after year after year, most of them have, that they're just going to be lukewarm. Well, He's going to let them have it their way. God always lets you have it your way. Pretty much. You want to go to hell? He'll let you have it your way. So... I emailed her back and I, I gave her two references to Bush. One is Bush Revealed is the name of the website. I don't know if it's bushrevealed.com or bushrevealed.org where it just gets it just documents his actions. It's not biased. It's just documenting what he's done. Especially since he's been in office. So you can't say that well, this is slander. Well, no, it's just documented news. And then David Bay put out another very good article. If you go to his webpage on cuttingedge.org and you scan down on the left side near the bottom, you'll see a uh, article titled, I think, like the fruits of Bush or something like that. Click on that. Yeah, if you can refute that information, which you can't because it's documented, you know, that's fine. But I said, you know, give these to him. And she she came back to me. She says, "Oh, he, they won't, they won't listen. They, they'll just, you know." <clears throat> but then I said, um, "But then I answered her other part of her question with this study that I'm going to get into. It's no by means. It's it's in. So no way a complete study on prayer, but it it's going to cover some points that not a lot of people are ever preached on ever. And this is one of the things God showed me real real early on when I was a baby Christian." that was absolutely foundational to your faith what I'm going to be getting into today um, if you don't do it then you're, you're only going to you're going to go very you're not going to go very far with the Lord if you don't put into practice what I'm going to say today you just you can't there's just no way you can because it's a prerequisite for what we're going to be getting into but yet it's you could go into a church, some churches, your whole life, and never ever hear anything preached on what I'm going to be talking about today, ever. Ever. And that's one of the reasons, and I'm telling you right now, because this message isn't being preached, what I'm going to be getting into today is, dare I say, one of the main, if not the main reasons, why the church is in the shape it's in. Because this is so foundational to um, having a right relationship with the Lord... And yet it's never preached on because it's not popular, not fun. Actually, I don't really look at it that way. I, I, I really don't. I don't think it's anything that, that is 
that is too much of task of the Lord. I, I just don't see it that way. And we'll see what you think when we're done. But um, I'm going to be getting into this now, and uh, I'm going to be going through a lot of Bible today. A ton of Bible, just verse after verse after verse. So, um, I'm going to be reading, you know, obviously out of the King James Bible. Now, again, with the King James Bible, a lot of times people say, well, I only believe the 1611 King James Bible. Well, the 1611 was um, the original but it, there, it underwent four revisions after 1611 where they corrected things like um, vocabulary and punctuation and some, they had some misspelling. So the actual version we have in our hands is actually the 1769 King James Bible. It's not the new King James, it's the 1769 King James Bible. It's, it's just had those four revisions in between and it wasn't like a retranslation it's not like you've got some corruption in your hands okay but it is important to clarify that because of the people that will come to you and say well you don't even know what your Bible you you don't even know and I've had that happen before so it's good to know these things ahead of time prior to the to the arguments coming um, so anyway I was listening to a show the other day and this one lady that now all of a sudden is attacking the King James Bible who had been supporting it said, you know, I didn't even know what year, year I was and now, and now she's basically attacking the, the King James. But the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all their ways. And I, this particular woman, I've seen her be double-minded. She's one way one minute and one way the next. So that's what you get when you get with somebody that's double-minded. They're unstable in all their ways. So... Uh, the first verse that I'm going to be talking about today is Psalms 19, <clears throat> verse 12 through 14. Psalm 19, verse 12 through 14, which reads, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright. And I shall be innocent of the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Now what we'll typically hear in this verse is just the last part of the verse. Where it says, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That's very important. But we don't hear what comes before that. Which it says, who can understand his heirs? Well now let me give you another verse that comes to mind about that. Um, Proverbs 16 verse 2 says all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes but the Lord weigheth the spirits so see as a, as a normal functioning human people typically think well I'm not a bad guy I'm better than, than Joe Schmo. I'm better than that mass murderer I just read in the paper so see all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes because of pride Usually, that's why that happens. But then it says, but the Lord weigheth the Spirit. See, the Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, it says, for all our righteousness are as an unclean thing. For our righteousness is a... For all our righteousness is as, is as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are as filthy rags. So, our best day, apart from Jesus Christ, is a filthy rag in God's sight. I hear it all the time. Well, I'm basically a good person. Or, or I've done this and I, you know, I think I measure up. Who cares about what you think about how you measure up? Who cares? That's your opinion. Are you willing to risk your eternal salvation on your opinion? Because that's what most people are doing. 
their opinions, if you really boil it down, 99.99% of everybody that ends up going to hell gets there because of their opinion. If you think about it. Because even you could blame it on the religious systems. Yeah, but it had to be their opinion that said, well, I, this seems like a pretty good religious system. This, this, everybody else is doing it. My, my, my ancestors all did it. Well, they're all going to hell. They're all going to hell. And, and, and that's the problem. So their opinion has taken them to hell. Satan really doesn't care how he gets you to hell as long as he gets you to hell. That's his main goal. You know, steal, kill, destroy. So it says, who can understand his heirs? Okay, so basically the Bible's saying right there, who can understand his heirs? We need, we need God's help to understand our heirs. It's not just, well, this is my opinion. Well, no, that doesn't cut it. Then he goes on to say, cleanse thou me from secret faults. So we may have secret faults. We're not seen even as Christians. I mean, since you've been saved, for instance, has God shown you anything about yourself that maybe you didn't like or know? Well, that's a great example. That's a great... He's done it with me. He's, he does it with me sometimes on a daily basis still. So we can have these things called secret faults which aren't apparent to us. They're, they have been ingrained into our lifestyle and maybe the church we've been going to hasn't preached on it. or These types of things. And, and that's one of the biggest reasons is because people are putting all their faith in their pastor and not even searching the thing out in their Bible and they don't even have the right Bible either. So, it's like they're doomed. You know, unless they really, unless God really starts working on them and impresses on them to dig deeper. To be like the Bereans of Acts which, which said that they sought these things out daily to see if, the, if they were so. In other words, they were searching the scriptures daily to see if they were so. Are you, are you cold? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead and um, hold on real quick. Okay, we'll go back to our study here. Um, so, it says that... Um, then it also says, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Dominion means rule. Dominion means like, you know, like the Lord have dominion over us. Dominion is like rulership, headship over you. <clears throat> so presumptuous. Presumptuous sins, what are those? Well, I'm going to give you some dictionary definitions from the, from the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, which was essentially the words define the way that they were written back then. Okay, because our dictionary definitions today a lot of times don't mean the same thing. They've been watered down. It's almost like the King James Bible, they've been polluted. <clears throat> so in 1828, the word presumptuous meant... It, the first thing it says is found on a presumption. Well, that doesn't tell us anything if you don't know what presumption means. But then it says, <clears throat> proceeding from excess of confidence. Well, that sounds like pride. <clears throat> proceeding from excess of confidence. That's one thing if you're confident in the Word of God, but it's another thing if you're confident in your own opinion, which is what presumption is. Um, arrogant. Insolent. Unduly confident. Irreverent with respect to sacred things. Okay, that's what presumption means in the 1828 Noah Webster's. 
So it's basically, uh, you're presuming something. That's where we get the word presume. I, well, I just presume this to be right. Well, you can presume something and be totally wrong. So this is what this is in reference to. <clears throat> and that's what's, that's what's actually going on here. So it says, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sin. So this is something we should ask the Lord for. Keep us back from, from presumptuous sin. Cleanse us from secret faults. Um, and I know there's been a lot of times in my life where I've, where I've presumed something was alright and it wasn't. And that's what you've got with 99.9% of lukewarm Christianity out there. Well, I don't really think Christian rock's bad. Okay, so your your opinion's telling you this. Can you can you prove it in the Word of God? Well, yeah, the Bible says, "Be all things to all men." You know, they'll they'll, they'll bring out all kind of verses with you. Oh, okay. So, in other words, we need to, in order to reach the devil, we need to live like the devil. That makes sense. Well, Jesus went to the to the whores and the in the uh, and the tax collectors, and they were the lowest of the low. Yes. But he never participated in their sin. In fact, his very presence convicted them of their sin. That was the difference. Huge difference here. Okay, so um, you, you can go around and around on that on that one. Okay, I don't mind going round and round on that because I just give them Bible. I just give them verse after verse after verse after verse, and let the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, do the do the talking for me. That's what Jesus did to Satan. He just quoted scripture. Three times. He just quoted him scripture. That's what I do anymore when I get into any kind of biblical debate. I just give them Bible. Give them Bible. Verse after verse. Just the Holy Spirit. I'll, I ask. I'm like, I, I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit bring these things into my remembrance. And the Bible even talks about that when the Comforter will come and acts, it says he will bring all these things in, into remembrance. Okay, And, and even where, where Jesus makes mention to take no heed nor thought of what you'll say in that day. For I, you know, I'm basically going to be speaking through you. So, he can still do the same thing with us. But the, the key is, is getting in the Word so that the Word can dwell in you. So that, that you can recall these things. And, and you may not be able to remember book, chapter, verse, and the exact verse, but uh, or, or the exact way it's spoken. But he can bring it back to your remembrance. Okay? And what I do is, is it's funny, I can get a half, I can maybe get a portion of a verse to lodge in my head and I'll go up and you can buy um, they've got little Bible things where you can just key in like two or three words out of the verse and I'll show you right where it's at now there may be ten verses with that same phrase but it'll it'll take you to it and then that's how you end up memorizing a lot of scripture because then you can go right to it and um, recall the verse so, so, so that you know this so Presumption is something that we want to stay away from. And the Lord can cleanse us from secret faults and these presumptuous sins. And then it says, and it says, these presumptuous sins, let them not have dominion over me. Well, if he's asking them, the Lord, not to have dominion over me, these presumptuous sins, that means that they can have dominion over you. They can have dominion over you as even a Christian. You get saved and you're under the assumption that this is correct and you go your whole saved life thinking that. Well, then that those sins, those presumptuous sins, have had dominion over your thought pattern. Conceivably, your whole Christian 
uh, walk. Okay, and so what does that do? Well, what that does is it's going to limit you in your whole Christian walk because God is only going to be able to take you so far because you haven't been cleansed of, of, of presumptuous sins and secret faults. It's like going up a mountain and you get to a certain level and God wants to advance you higher but He can advance you because you've got this besetting, let's say, sin or presumptuous sin or a secret fault. Maybe you're not even aware of it. Or maybe it's because your pastor hasn't taught it to you. Maybe because you haven't read your Bible. I, I don't know. Maybe, um, I don't know. There, there, there's a lot of different things. Maybe it's demonic baggage from the past. I don't know. Because let me tell you something. Just because you get saved doesn't mean all the world just comes out of you instantaneously. I had to have about 10 years, no, more than that, about 11, and I'm not saying imperfect, but I had to have about 11 years of world purging before I ended up getting a lot of this stuff right. And it was agony. It was not fun. I get really upset when I hear preachers get real self-righteous and sanctimonious and basically say that, you know, I heard this guy the other day and he just kept dwelling on the fact that we have to be just clean vessels before the Lord, before He'll use us. And, and we, are, are, we have to just be spotless clean before the Holy Spirit can fill us. You know something? If that's the case, there's no hope for any of us. There isn't. I'm sorry. I got so angry listening to this because if you're listening to this man's preaching as a Christian, you could almost do nothing but get discouraged. I don't want my preaching to be discouraging because I've been there, I've done it. You don't just walk in sinless perfection as soon as you're saved. When you're saved, you're a baby. The Bible talks about that. You know, grow up uh, with the sincere milk of the Word as babes in Christ. Okay, great, you're a baby. The more of the world you have in you, the more sin you have in your life once you get saved, typically the longer it takes for you to work that thing out. Um, I'm still working it out. And I probably will be the rest of my life. And it's a process. It's a process. The Bible talks about that the Jews and the Pharisees and the Sadducees laid weights greater than the the people could bear. They did that through adding different ordinances and laws that weren't even in the Old Testament. And that's where you get the Talmud from. What is the Talmud? It's basically the opinion of the Jewish rabbis on things that are totally extra-biblical. You know what it says in the Babylonian Talmud? It says that you know things like Jesus was born of a whore and things of this nature and then it's okay to sodomize little kids as long as they're beyond a certain age. It says it right there. I can give you... I can, I've got the article that proves it. You can go look for it yourself. The Babylonian Talmud's... Oh... I don't know, two or three feet thick of books. So, I mean, it's not like something you're just going to open up to and say, oh, wow, I couldn't believe what I found in the Talmud today. Now, you got to really search it out. But it's in there, and I can give you chapter and verse in the Talmud. So, see, that's what happens when we start getting into our opinion. We, we, got, we got some sin we want to justify? Well, I guarantee you, that rabbi that wrote that junk had that particular sin problem, so that's why I put it in there. Why else would he put it in there? I mean, that's as sick as you can possibly get. So we got to really stay away from our opinion. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 9, it says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? Well, that's how we cleanse our way. 
by taking heed thereto according to thy word. The Bible also says in Proverbs 16 verse 3, it says, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. So that's another way that we can cleanse our way. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. So you're having a problem with your thought life? Commit your works unto the Lord. Is it just that one thing you have to do? No, I'm, I'm not saying there's not a lot of other biblical things, but it is, it is part of it. Part of the process there. So, um, these are things that we can do to keep us back from presumptuous sin. Then, then the Bible says in Psalm 119 verse 11, it says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. So by hiding the word in the heart, um, we don't we don't sin against the Lord, or we or we do a lot less of it. And again, that's a process. Um, I just touched, um, I had paused the tape for a second. I was touching on um, that I'm going to be speaking at this this event tomorrow at Stetson Law School, and uh, interviewed by a guy named Bob Schultz, who's the head of We the People, who's the main group that's spearheading exposing what's going on regarding the uh, government and the Internal Revenue Service. And um, the Bible verse that keeps going through my head is, is, I will not be afraid of what man can do unto me. And now, there's also this also very much relates to the other verses that I'm going to be getting into today. Because we need to see where what do we fear? Do we fear what man can do unto us? Or do we fear what God could do unto us if, if we're not obedient to Him? Because he, once He shows you stuff, the Bible says, whom the Lord... Um, whom the Lord gives much, much is required, essentially. To, to whom much is given, much is required. Okay, so the more you know, the more you're responsible for. And this is why it's not really fun to get to a very, very, very high level of knowledge. And this is why I don't think a lot of people ever do get to a very, very high level of knowledge. Because a lot of times they'll get to a, a certain point where they'll say, Okay, that's it. I don't want to know anymore. I've learned enough. That's it. I'm done. Because they know that they're going to be responsible for what they're learning. They know deep down, especially if they're Christian. Well, why does the Bible say this? Well, the Bible says, And further by these, this is Ecclesiastes 12, verses 12, And further by these, my son, be admonished. Of the making of many books there is no end. And in much study is weariness of the flesh. The Bible says there's also um, grief, and much much wisdom, and much learning is is much grief, essentially. Okay, and that's not a direct quote, but that is that is just a fact. I mean, that is a fact. The more you learn, and the more you understand how evil things are, the more depressing it can be. But does that mean that we're just supposed to turn our back from this thing? You know what it also says? In the Bible, in Ecclesiastes 7, it says, It is better to go into the house of mourning than in the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men. What is the end of all men? The house of mourning? Why does it say that? Because everybody's appointed un- uh, to die, and after this, the judgment? Okay. For that is the end of all men. And the living will lay it to heart. In other words, if you go to the house of mourning, that's there's wisdom in the house of mourning. I go to every funeral just about I can go to. And I do it for that reason. The house of mourning. Because there's, it says it's better to go to the house of mourning. 
This is better. Well, I don't like that. I think things hit a little too close to home for me. I've heard people say that, unsafe people. I'm in and out of there, man. I'm done. I'm, I'm a, why? Because it reminds me of where they're going. Now, as a Christian, I don't think I'm going there. I'm going to hell. I'm talking about an unsaved going to them. They know deep down. They, they can deceive themselves all they want, but deep down. Well, the Bible says it's better. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. Sorrow is better than laughter. Oh, brother, you're raining on my parade. I can't go here. I can't go here. Smiley Joel Olsten preach in, in his stadium and make me feel all good all over and give me goosebumps. You're raining on my parade. No, I'm not raining on your parade. The Word of God is raining on your parade. If you have a problem with what I'm saying, you have a problem with the Word of God. And I'm telling you, this is the verse you can go to. You can see it a different way, let me know. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. That's what we need. We need to humble ourselves and mourn. I'll be honest with you, last night, I was bawling, that's why my throat is is like it is today. I was bawling like a baby. And it wasn't because of some sin in my life. Of course, there has been many times that's been the case too. It was just something that the Lord got a hold of me about. And it, it, was, it, it wasn't because of besetting sin. It wasn't because of presumptuous sin. It's been like... I, I've been like that enough times. <laughs> Not enough, because who knows, I might, that might happen to me today. But it was just something that the Lord... I guess was showing me, and, and was reaffirming to me. And it was humbling to me. But it says, sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. Oh, the heart of the wise? Well, what does wisdom lead to? Being wise. Isn't that where we get the word wisdom from? Wise, wisdom. So it says, by the the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. That's a good reason to go to funerals. Now, I'm not saying go to a Masonic funeral where they're saying, Oh, our brother's going to go and dwell in the celestial lodge in the sky because his lambskin apron... you know what they believe in, in the Masons? They believe that the lambskin apron that you wear... Lamb? Lamb? You know why it's lambskin? Because it's a mockery of God. The Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world, which purged our sins through the blood of the Lamb, they believe that lambskin, stupid looking apron that they wear, they all look like they're getting ready to make like a pie or something. They got that apron on. They look ridiculous. They believe that that is going to be their um, atonement when they get to the, quote, celestial lodge in the sky. They believe it. You ever, like, watch the Flintstones and, they, and, they, and they're talking about, oh, and, and, and we're going to go to the, the you know, the, the Grand Poobah, we're going to go to the celestial lodge in the sky. That's what they really believe. Now, I used to watch the Flintstones when I was a little kid. That's why I brought that up, okay? I don't watch it now. 
But I tell you what, I think back on all the occult symbolism that's in all these cartoons. It's unbelievable. I, I think back, and I thought at the time, you, know, you think it's cute and everything else, but they've been conditioning the masses through cartoons, through a lot of different things, for so many different years. And they actually believe that's going to be their covering. Instead, See, they're not, they don't need the Lamb of God. they got their own self-righteous lambskin apron that they're going to wear. You know, they're going to appear before God naked. Naked. That lambskin putrid covering is going to be burned up a long time ago. So it says, The heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, but the heart of fools is in the house of myrrh. Think about that. The heart of fools is in the house of myrrh? Well, you go to a, a, a normal... Here's a great example of that. Your, your normal family gathering on a holiday. Holiday. Holidays are not holidays, most of them. They're not holy days, I should say. Those are pagan holidays that have been Christianized. See, they were, way, they were pagan way before we ever got to them. All the holidays, ex- except for Thanksgiving, are essentially pagan holidays, and they fall on what they call high satanic days. If you got any uh, doubts of what I'm just saying now, go up on the internet. Uh, go to cuttingedge.org. Uh, do, a, do a search for Christian holidays. Doc Marquis is a guy that's done a whole series on how pagan these things are. They're straight from the pit of hell. Christmas, Halloween, all these holidays. They've, put, they've been put a Christian veneer on by the New World Order so that the, the, so that the Christians could be defiled by celebrating on these days. Well, see, aren't holidays... Days of myrrh. What is myrrh? Myrrh is like celebration, laughing, frivolity. Oh, we're having. We're going to get together and have a great old time. You don't have any right to have a great old time if you're not saved. You you really don't. Um, I don't know if I can find that verse in Psalms where it talks about laughing. Yeah. Uh, here it is. Psalm 126. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. Then said among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Okay, so when the Lord does great things for you, when you're saved, yeah, you actually do have a right and a reason to be glad. Okay? And, you, and your mouth can even be filled with laughter. Laughter can be a holy thing, too. And our tongue filled with singing, singing unto the Lord. But if you're captive, and you're going to hell, what right do you have to laugh? What right do you have to go to the house of myrrh, or, or feasting, and have a good old time? What right do you have? You really don't have any right. You're going to hell. That's the bottom line. It says then in verse 4, Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. See, they want to turn this captivity. They were taken captive. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. What is sowing? Well, that's what you do with the seed. You sow a seed. Well, the Bible says they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Huh. That's a pretty unique concept. 
That's not preached in the churches very often, is it? David's so in tears. What does that mean? I've sowed a lot of tears, man. <laughs> I've sowed a lot. I, I Thousands, thousands of tears have I sowed. You know what? It's not fun to sow tears. But I'll, be, I'll tell you what, though. There was that time I went through that really, really dark time in my life where, um, where I went through all this. And it wasn't... It was because of I was deceived, but I was closer to the Lord during that time because the Lord humbled me through tears, through fasting, and it's not fun, it's agony. But I'll tell you what, there's a part of me, and that's why I got so choked up last night, because I think back. Once you've been through something like that, once you've been taken through a really, really, really dark valley, and you know that the Lord was there to hold your hand, when you didn't feel as though there was any, you had nothing left, that, that everything that had been stripped from you, that you were bare before the Lord, and you were so humbled, so humbled that, like, like uh, for instance, you know, crying so hard that you start vomiting. Have you ever done that? And, and I'm not saying, you, you can't work that up. There is no possible way you can work something like that up for long lengths of time. That's why my voice is the way it is today. Because the Lord reminded me of that last night, what that felt like. It just came on me. I was listening to a, a, a song and, and it just came on me. And, 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 he, and He took me back. He took me back to that time. But you know something? That was probably the most precious time of my life that I ever walked with the Lord. Even though it was the it was the most agony I had ever been through. I look back on that time with, believe it or not, I really do. I look back on that time with fondness. With with um there's a certain part of me that wouldn't trade it for anything. Wouldn't trade I got closer to the Lord than I'd ever been. And, 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 and that is what I'm talking about when, when, it, when it talks about they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Well, that sounds pretty good. They that sow in tears, what's sowing? Planting a seed shall reap in joy. Every tear you cry unto the Lord. I believe that, that when you sow in tears, ultimately what's the end of that? That you're going to reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed. Wow, that's pretty neat. There we have another confirmation there. You're sowing. What is? What do you sow in the ground? Seed. Well, when you weep, you bear precious seed. Shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Well, why does it say sheaves? Well, because that, that seed that you planted in the ground comes up as wheat. Sheaves of wheat. You always reap more than you sow. So the more tears you sow, the more you're going to reap. Now, if you sow in tears and then start living like the devil, don't expect to reap. Because the Bible says you can lose your reward. It says that. It says it in the New Testament. So, don't expect to go living like the devil and then you can undo a lot of this stuff. And I know I've undone a lot of my rewards, most likely. I don't know exactly how 100% the Lord sees it, but i got a feeling I've undone a lot of my rewards. And it's my own stinking fault. Let's, I don't see if I can find this other verse. Um, that really... That, it, this is another confirmation of this thing. 
about tears. Now, well, what does that mean, Brother Johnson? Does that mean that that, that we should um, pray for these things? Yeah, I do. I think it is. Should we pray that God cleanse us from presumptuous sin and secret faults that they do they do not have dominion of us? And then will I be innocent of the great transgression? What if you have presumptuous sins and secret faults up until the time you die and you die in those sins? And Okay, now I'm not saying that you're not saved. But could we stand before not innocent of the great transgression? Well, Jesus' blood will cover it all. But what if you never repented of any of those sins? Well, they were presumptuous sins. I didn't know about it. Yeah, but it says that they could have dominion over you. I don't know. I really don't want to take the chance. Oh, it's all under the blood, brother... Yeah, but what if you never repented of it? I would rather err on the side of safety when it comes to these matters. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, I think so. The Bible says in Psalm 77, it says, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and He gave ear unto me. You know how you get a hold of God? When you humble yourself before the Lord. That's what we're going to start talking about here soon. What is the best way to humble yourself before God? Well, let me tell you something. When you're on the ground, like in a fetal position, bawling your eyes out, broken, that's a pretty good way. And I don't mean this is something you got to work yourself up into. Because if you work yourself up into it, it don't count. It's got to be something the Holy Spirit does to you. How you do it, I pray for it. Here's another thing, and we're going to be talking about this. I pray for the fear of the Lord. When you pray for the fear of the Lord, this is a natural byproduct. I'm telling you right now, pray for humility. This is a natural byproduct. Tears. Tears. I'm telling you, this is what we're not hearing in the church. We're not hearing this stuff. And it's really, really important. Here it is. Psalm 56, verse 8. A lot of times I don't know the exact chapter and verse, but I know where they're at in my Bible because the way I got it marked. Because <laughs> I've been there so many times. Um, it says in verse 8, Thou tellest my wanderings. Now he's... David Psalmist talking to the Lord. Thou tellest my wanderings. Put my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? Wow. Think about that one. When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. Wow, maybe that has something to do with getting our prayers answered. You got enemies? For this I know, for God is for me. Hmm. And here's where it says in God, it says, well, in God will I praise His word. In the Lord will I praise His word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid of what man can do unto me. Well, when you get to the point where, where you're doing this, he's talking about tears one verse, and then he's talking about I will not be afraid of what man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee, for thou hast delivered my soul from death. Will, now will not thou deliver my feet from falling? That I may walk before God in the light of the living? Well, five verses before this verse where he's saying, For thou hast delivered my soul from death, will thou not deliver my feet from falling? He's talking about how put thou my tears into thy bottle. 
Are they not in thy book? That sounds like that if you're Christian or if you're a believer in the Lord, a born again, I mean back then it was a different dispensation. But in today's application, if you're a Christian before the Lord, he talks about a bottle that, that your tears are in. That's pretty neat. Are they not in thy book? There's a bottle and a book. Well, the angels are here right now recording what's going on. That's why the Bible says, you know, be careful what you speak because every word you'll give an account thereof in the days, you know, and, and, and I do believe that they're to a certain extent, yes, I mean, if, if there's something that you've said and rendered and it's not like as though you can't be forgiven of it either, especially I mean, as long as you repent of these things. I know I've said a lot of things I regret. But it says, then, when, I, when I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back. When I cry, well he's talking about tears in the previous verse. When I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back? Or you got problems in your life? Are they bad enough where you can actually get before the Lord and cry? Because if they're not, he's probably going to bring you to that point where you do. I'll tell you what, one of the best ways you can possibly get a hold of the Lord is through tears. Humbling yourself before the Lord God. The Bible says, humble yourself before the Lord God, and in due time you will be lifted up. Tears, humility, a contrite heart, that's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm telling you, this is huge what I'm telling you. And in the times we're moving into, we're going to need this. Big time. Why do you think that the persecuted church does way better than the lukewarm church? Because they're they're forced into this. This is an everyday battle to them. They, may, they probably got a ten times more or a hundred times more to cry about than we do. My daughter just got martyred. Or my, my dad did. Or I'm, I'm, I don't have any food to eat. Or whatever affliction they're under. I'm convinced a lot of times God will bring us to these things in order to drive us to this very point. Because there's no greater way to get a hold of the Lord than a humble and a broken heart before the Lord where you are truly just broken before God he can do something with a broken vessel he can do something with it he, he can do something with somebody that's humble and, and I'm going to prove that today I'm not going to prove it the Lord's going to prove it and I'm going to go back to Ecclesiastes real quick so it says the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning but the heart of fools is in the house of myrrh well I'm going to go to my Super Bowl Sunday party that's the house of myrrh it says the heart of fools is in the house of myrrh. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Well, what, doesn't that say in, in Proverbs? It says that, that the, um, the person that flatters with his lips, with his mouth, you got to be careful then. Then for a man to hear the song of fools, that's what the song of fool is. Oh, brother, you're okay, you're good. You're good. You're a good person. That's the song of fools. Oh, you're just wonderful. Getting all lifted up with pride, thinking that you're something when you're nothing. That can happen as a Christian too. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise. I've asked the Lord, send people into my life, whatever I'm doing wrong, to rebuke me. The Bible says that a wise man will hear a rebuke and he'll love you for it. But a scorner, if you get, if you rebuke that, a scorner, he'll hate you for it. He'll hate you. And it says you'll get a blot. 
Meaning he'll probably go around trying to vilify you every way he can. Well, for as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. That's what God thinks about a fool's laughter. Who's a fool? Well, if you're if you're not saved, I'm sorry, that pretty much puts you in that boat. The laughter of a fool. This is also vanity. So these are just things to think about. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna get back to the uh, what we were talking about today here. Well, one of the problems with this, um, in regard to this situation, we were just having a little bit of a side discussion about these things. If there's something that you know in your mind that's maybe a presumptuous sin or a secret fault. Or if, even if you're aware of it, if there's something in your mind that you've purposed in your mind, and God can read your thoughts, obviously, that you have purposed in your mind and you've purposely put it under the rug and said, this is the one thing that if, if this happened to me, I, I'm giving up on God. The problem with that philosophy is, is that's probably the very thing that God will test you with. So you have to purpose in your heart preemptively, preemptively, that if there's anything like that, that God take it away from you, so hopefully He never has to do it in the first place. God isn't just up there wanting to like bring all this woe and misery into your life just for the sake of it's like fun for him. I don't I just don't believe that. That's why the more broken we are before the Lord, the easier it is for God, for God to work things out in our life without him having to really play rough. I've heard the analogy of it saying that he'll start out with with fine grit sandpaper and he'll move up to double lot grit. Well, I would, I would much think that God would rather, if he has to do something, use fine grit sandpaper, have you get right with the Lord, and have it, have it settled, than having to go up to the double lot grit. Now, think about it this way. That, that's only reasonable what I said. If you have a kid, and they have a problem, and that's what we are before the Lord, we're like the Lord's children, well, then, if you had a child and they had some besetting sin or whatever, and maybe they weren't even seeing it, well, isn't it better if you just have to correct the kid some and for him to finally get his eyes open to it, and then you go on with your life? Wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't that be more pleasing to you? Let's say if you were their father, like he's, like our father is to us. Wouldn't that be more pleasing to you than having that kid have to turn into half the child of hell in order for them to finally get right? It's only reasonable. Obviously, if it were up to us, we would want it that way. Well, God's probably no different in, in that regard, but He also knows the beginning from the end. He's also a lot more wise than, than, than we are. So, God will pretty much do, with a born-again Christian, whatever it takes in order for us to get right with Him. So, I think it's very important in your mind to ask the Lord to search you Search my heart, Lord, you know. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Cleanse me from secret faults and presumptuous sins. So hopefully, God never has to even do any of this other stuff. See, what I'm telling you about right now 
if you pray this way and you really seek these things out, ultimately what it's going to end up doing for the majority of people here is it's going to spare them a lot of agony. Really, it is. This is the most merciful thing I can be preaching to you today. But it's not good. It doesn't make me feel good. I really don't care. I really don't care how it would make anyone feel. If it breaks you and it makes you want to go on your knees and humbles you, great. The Word has accomplished its purpose. Because I'm telling you right now, that's what this will do. This is what this will do to you. If you really start applying it. If you really start praying for these things. David prayed for him. Uh, he was a man after God's own heart. I study a lot of Psalms because I want to know what, what does a man after God's own heart pray for. And see, you could say in your, in your, into yourself, well, I don't feel that way. Start praying for it then. Start putting the Word, start memorizing these scriptures. You'll, see, you'll start changing because the Word of God dwelling in you richly will change you. You can't muster this stuff up. Well, I'm just going to I'm just going to be a man of sorrow and a man of tears. And, and I'm, it doesn't work that way. I can't explain it to you. I, all I'm telling you is pray for it. It's the most merciful thing you could do to yourself and to the people around you. And I'm telling you, there's more... Now, I've only given you the kind of the, the harsh part. I haven't given you all the, all the stuff that goes along with it. This actually is not a negative lesson whatsoever. Because when you see the fruit on the other side of this, I see no downside. I really don't. In fact, this is one of the more positive messages you're ever going to hear me preach. Because when you see all the stuff that's connected with this, I'm not making this stuff up. Pure Bible. Pure Bible. What I'm going to be giving you. So, let's go a little bit further with this. Isaiah 57 verse 15. Isaiah 57, verse 15. And if any of you want a copy of this, just let me know. Okay? Um, and I can even, if for somebody listening to this possibly online, if you want a copy of this lesson, I'm going to be sending out a copy of this lesson, but you can email me um, and uh, get a copy of the lesson. Email address is drjohnson, D-R-J-O-H-N-S-O-N, at... The letter I, the letter X, dot netcom, N-E-T-C-O-M, dot com. Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one, that inhabiteth eternity. Now this is the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. Okay? Here's what he says. Whose name is holy. This is super, super, super important. I dwell... In the high and holy place. This is God Almighty talking here. This isn't this isn't any part this is God. This is thus saith the Lord. I dwell in the high and holy place. With with look at that word with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit. Wow. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Who does God dwell with? Those that are of a humble and a contrite spirit? What if you're proud? He doesn't dwell with you. That's an abomination before God. What is the exact polar opposite of humility? Proud. Pride. Pride. The polar opposite. 
We're going to be talking a whole lot about this. What is to be humble? Well, I'm going to give it to you out of the Webster's 1828. Humble, low, lowly, modest, meek. Well, the meek shall inherit the earth, it says. Submissive, submissive before God. Opposed to proud. Opposed to being proud, haughty, arrogant, or assuming. Also, that means opposed to being presumptuous. Because when you assume something, you're presuming something. Presumptuous. It's, It's opposed to that. In an evangelical sense, having a low opinion of oneself... That that expression here sometimes, I know from the pit from whence the Lord has dug me. Don't forget it. Don't dwell on it all the time. I mean, don't dwell on your past, but you know, you, you remember where God's brought you from. And a deep sense of unworthiness in the sight of God. That's what being humble is. Now, you could be a Christian and you could be born again and, and really gotten saved and not have a lot of this operating in your life. Well, how do you get it? You pray for it. Oh, but I've heard preachers say many, oh, whatever you do, don't pray for humility. I've heard that so many. You know what? They're taking and robbing you of the, of the best, most, this is the best way you can get closest to God of all things. Because the Bible says right here, with Him also, that I dwell in the high and holy place. With Him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit. What if you're proud? Well, how can he dwell with you? Well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not humility has never been one of my greatest attributes. Then pray for it. Pray for it. What's wrong with that? How many times do you hear that? Is this simple though? It's just simple. What I'm telling you, it's not hard. Pray for it. If there's something in the Bible that I see connected with blessings, and this isn't, it doesn't say, I dwell with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit, and I will give them a Lamborghini. Well, it doesn't say that. <laughs> so, it's not about that. Do you really have a heart for God? Do you, re- or, or, or maybe, see, another thing is, is, is in and of yourself, you can't do this, you can't make yourself humble. I believe if you pray for something, though, see, the Lord can do it the, the easy way or the hard way. Now, when I went through it, I kind of went through it the hard way because I had had three and a half years where I was living like I shouldn't have lived, and God humbled me. Now, once this all started kicking in, it was apparent to me why He was doing it and that I had to go through it. It wasn't fun, um, but it was, I, I look back on that, like I said today, with a time of fondness, as, as a time of fondness, when I was closer to the Lord than I'd ever been. And it's not as though now all of a sudden I'm away from God. It's just, it's different when you're going through something like that. It's, it's hard to describe. You, you, can't, you can't just put yourself into that dark valley that you were in. You can remember it, but you just can't put yourself into that on a daily basis. If you lived there your whole life, you would, you would cease to exist. You couldn't take it. You would eventually give out. You can't. You can only take so much of that. Now, God may bring you back there and bring you back there and bring you back there, but He's not going to always keep you in those types of valleys 
typically. I mean, I'm not saying there's some not some people that may have went maybe went maybe they've went through years and years and years and years of it. But God knows every person. He knows their frame. He knows what they're capable of dealing with too. He knows what it's also going to take to get you right. So I'm just telling you, if you seek this preemptively ahead of time, then. There's a good chance when things really do get bad, maybe the Lord ain't going to have to do as much stuff with you in order to get you right. I would rather be moving into the times we're moving into, this dark time, I believe it's coming. It, wouldn't it, doesn't it make more sense to be as right with God as you possibly can now so that He can use you in the time to come? And not, not so that when, when the time comes, all of a sudden it's like you're going to be... Um, that you have to, that God has to do all these things in order to get you right, because you've got so much stinking sin in your life that God's going to have to use this horrific event to get you right with God. Wouldn't it be better to already be right with God going into this? And there's a pretty good chance if that was the case, He wouldn't have to take you through as much of a meat grinder as the next person who's living like the devil. Of course, if you're if you're a Christian living like the devil and you have no conviction about it, you're not most likely saved anyway. Most people aren't even saved. They got no conviction of their sin. There's no chastisement of God upon them. They got no fruit of the Spirit. Or if it's fruit, it's 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 contrived fruit. They're just mustering it up. They're trying to work their way into heaven. That don't count. So the Bible talks about this. That that's who God dwells with. What does contrite mean? Um, contrite to break or bruise. To rub or wear. Remember what I said about the sandpaper? Literally, worn or bruised. Hence, broken hearted for sin. Deeply afflicted with grief and sorrow for having offended God. Wow. Boy, that doesn't go along with the old feel good, lukewarm, puke religion that we have going on nowadays it really doesn't I, I, boy I'm going to offend a whole lot of people with this one it really doesn't oh well are you here to please God or man deeply afflicted with grief and sorrow for having effect. see these preachers nowadays they're, oh you're, you're just right God, God accepts you any way you are well yeah when you get saved you come before God any way you are you don't, got, you don't try to have to get cleaned up before you get saved but if you do get saved, then the Holy Spirit's living inside you and there should be conviction about your sin and you should want to get right with the Lord and you should want to start serving God. Now these preachers now nowadays, they don't even preach that. They just said, well, say this little prayer and ask Jesus into your heart. Who wants to go to heaven? Who wouldn't want to go to heaven? No, let's do another hand raise. Go into the, go into the room and say, okay, who wants to go to hell? Can I have a show of hands? Who wants to go to hell? Nobody's going to want to go to hell. Well, you want to go to heaven? Yeah, well, just say this quick prayer and accept Jesus in your heart. <laughs> that is ridiculous. That is just ridiculous. They're, they're teaching nothing about repentance. They're, they're teaching nothing about if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. What does believing imply? Well, if you believe Him, you're essentially going to do what He says. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Acts 16.31 Well, all i got to do is believe on him. He came here. 
Now, believing also implies that you believe what he said when he was here on this earth. And if you say this quick prayer, and you say you believe on Jesus Christ, and there's no fruit of that, and there's no conviction about your sin, and you don't, and, and, and you just go on doing the same stuff you're doing, you don't get into the Word, how have you believed on Him? You've shown that you don't believe Him, because you haven't carried through with what He said to do. Does that mean we're saved by works? No. You're saved by grace, through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But once you do get saved, works will be following. It's a byproduct, it's a fruit of things. But it's not that you're saved through works, lest any man should boast. So, this is what the word contrite means. Humble, penitent. A contrite, penitent means repentant. That's where I believe they probably get the word. Repentant. Penitent. You're repenting before the Lord. You're repenting for your sins. You're deeply afflicted with grief and sorrow for having offended God. Well, it says, Cleanse thou me from secret faults and from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Well, this could be something that God's ongoingly doing with you once you're saved. He can be actually cleansing you and convicting you of presumptuous sins and secret faults that you were not aware of so that you can repent before the Lord. Now you have the opportunity to repent because now you're made aware of it. But if you never pray this prayer, He may never reveal this to you because you've really never wanted to know. Or He may have to make it so incredibly bad for you through such amount of agony and that's not the way you want to go either if you can help it. I mean, I would rather not. Um, now, Isaiah 66 verse 2. It says, For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is of a poor and a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Oh me! As Pastor Furnish used to say. <laughs> wow. But the Bible says, To this man will I look. Do you want God to look to you when you say your prayers? Well, do you fulfill this? Even him that is of a poor and a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word? Oh, how many people are doing that? That's not popular. Well, that's not nice. That doesn't make me feel good. I don't, I don't fear God. Well, that's a gigantic problem. He's a God of love. Yes, he's also a God of judgment. He's balanced. It's like the scales of justice. You got mercy and you got judgment. I pray for His mercy so that I don't have to get the judgment. Think about this. You got two children. Both have done the same sin. Both come before you and one of them is like, Oh, Daddy or Mommy, I'm so sorry for what I've done. I've done, they confess their sins, they're broken, they repent, and you're looking at that one. How are you going to feel? Well, thus saith the Lord, you're going to have to die a horrible death because this isn't enough. You're not going to do that. They've obviously pretty much learned their lesson. I'm saying they're really sincere. I'm not saying they're putting on an act. And God knows you can see right through that junk. And then you got another one saying... I'm human. 
God made me this way. Given the chance, I'd do it again. <laughs> okay, who's God going to deal with? Now, that doesn't even sound like somebody that could even possibly be a Christian, okay? So maybe that was a little overboard, the example that I said. But you could have a guy coming before you in presumptuous sins and secret faults, and they don't even think they've got a problem because their preacher who has, has ruined them, or whoever they've been listening to, or their, or their New Age Bible versions ruined them, or they've chose just to pick and choose out of the Bible what they want, or they don't like the hard stuff, well, think about it. Who's God going to want? Who's God going to deal with? <laughs> um, in a very severe way. So, see, this actually—if you get a hold of this—ultimately, you're sparing yourself of a lot of agony, and you may also—and I would almost guarantee and venture to say—that you're sparing yourself from agony at the judgment seat of Christ. Because I'm just talking about this world, but then let's extrapolate this forward. What if we die in presumptuous sins and secret faults? And they've had dominion over us our whole lives. And I'm not saying we weren't saved, okay? But were we saved yet so as by fire? Like, like it talks about in 1 Corinthians. I don't know. I mean, you appear before God, and you're saved yet so as by fire. All your works are burned up. Because that can happen. Wood, hay, stubble. You stand before God ashamed. What kind of agony, to a certain extent, may you be in, in eternity? Maybe there's always going to be regret. I don't know. The Bible does say that there's going to come a time where He wipes every tear away. But there's still going to be some there with much greater reward than others, even if He wipes every tear away. So wouldn't it be better to err on the side of safety with this? Hopefully I've presented a good enough case, and I hope hopefully the Holy Spirit's speaking through me to present this case. I don't want this to be my own clever imagining that I'm bringing this stuff before you. To me it seems very obvious in Scripture what's being said here. So, to him, this is the man that he'll look. Well, maybe this might have something to do with getting your prayers answered. It says, God, to this man will I look. What if he's looking away from you? How are you going to get your prayers answered? Hmm. Interesting point. Poor. What does poor mean? Poor in spirit. And it's, oh, I already said this, I'm sorry. Humble, contrite. It means the same thing as contrite. And humble. Okay? And then it says, And that trembleth at my word. Do you fear God? Well, we're going to look at that, too. Psalm 22, verse 25. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. Wow. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. Where? My praise shall be in the great congregation. Well, is the congregation you're in, do they fear God? Is the church you're going to, 501c3 incorporated church that, that's preaching out of a false version, that's got all kind of programs and all kind of sin in the camp. Well, the Bible says, that David says, my praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. 
I will pay my vows before them that fear Him. So, I think this has an application what kind of church you're going to. Because it says, I will pay my vows before them that fear Him. What if you're going into church and you're the only one there that fears God? Well, maybe you need to get out. Because maybe they're influencing you to, are they going to influence you toward more holiness? How could they? How could they? If there's that much sin in the camp, how could it not affect you? It will affect you. It affected the, it affected um, the whole Jewish camp when one guy brought silver and Babylonian garments out of uh, Jericho. And they lost the next battle and lost, I don't know, like 27 people. Because Achan, you know what Achan's name means? It means trouble. He brought, he disobeyed the commandment, he brought sin into the camp, I believe it was the silver wedges and the Babylonian garments, ended up, both him and his, all his family and all his goods had to be destroyed. That's pretty harsh. His kids and his wife had to pay for, I don't know, his ways are not our ways, but they had to get the sin out of the camp. After that, they didn't lose a battle once they went into the promised land. So, you know, before them that fear him. But this dynamic of having congregations that fear the Lord is almost non-existent in America. Now, in some other countries where the church is persecuted, that, that exists. God can hear their prayers. They're persecuted, they're humbled, they're lowly, they're meek, they're broken before the Lord. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. God can hear their prayers. They fear God. They're willing to die for God. In fact, the mere practicing of their religion requires the risk of their life on almost a daily basis. Psalm 25 verse 14. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. Now we're getting to some of the benefits. And He will show them His covenant. You want to know the secret of the Lord? I don't exactly know what that means. Quite honestly, I tried to do a keyword search on it. I couldn't find a whole lot. But the Bible says it right there. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. Could part of the secret be what I'm revealing to you today? Could part of it be? Because it says, the secret of the Lord is them with, with them that fear Him. What does fear of the Lord breed? Humility? Contriteness? Being broken? Tears? Could that be... I'm not saying it's the whole secret, but I think it's got to be part of some of the secret here. Because fear of the Lord will naturally breed humility before the Lord, contriteness, poor spirit, tears, repented heart. See, fear of the Lord breeds all those. It's it's fruit. So if the secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him, maybe this is part of the secret. I guarantee it's got to be some of the secret. got to be part of it. I will pay my vows. Okay, hold on, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. And I will show them his covenant. So it sounds like these are the people God shows stuff to. You could you could read your King James Bible your whole life and not see a whole lot. Because maybe maybe you're not saved. Maybe you got saved and you're still a babe in Christ because you don't want to accept you don't want to go off milk. Maybe you, maybe you got saved and there's some besetting sin that you refuse to give up, so you're just miserable. Because God will make you miserable. Whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. And if, and if you be without chastisement, you're bastards. 
The Bible says it, not me. He can chasten people for years and years and years and years and they can still be saved. But they're probably going to be saved, yet so it's by fire. So that's not a great way. Granted, it's much better than going to hell for eternity. But that's not... We stand before the Lord. We've probably most likely buried our talents, which we have. They're buried underground. You haven't used what God gave you. They're just buried. Well, great. I'm, yet, I'm saved, yet so is by fire. Wonderful. Whatever God's given me, I, bur- I just buried it in the ground. Well, that's, that's not good. God doesn't want that. Maybe because that talent got buried in the ground, 100, 200, 1,000 people went, ended up going to hell. Think about that one. And I'm not saying I'm sitting here saying, preaching down to everybody. Who knows how many people I, I've sent to hell because of my poor testimony or because something I did. I'm preaching to myself as much as I am anybody else. There was a man I know went to hell probably most likely because of me. His name was Carl. And um, one of the most humbling times of my life was when I was with my ex-wife and with my ex-wife there was a curse on her and on everything that was around her this came under this curse. And it was primarily worked through just being flat out miserable but also the finances were always gone. It didn't matter how much money you made the finances were always gone. It was like a self-destructive curse. It didn't matter how much money I made. I was working as a, as a chiropractor. But you know what I was doing at night? Working as a Domino's pizza delivery boy. Seriously, I was. As a licensed chiropractor in the state of Florida. I, I drove Domino's. Drove it out at the beach so nobody would see me. Plus the tips were better. No lie. I did. <laughs> you talk about humbling. Here I am. Mr. High and Lofty, go to school for six years, take double a full load for six years straight, did my bodybuilding contest, hung out with the coolest people, had two girl roommates that were really pretty, though I never did anything with them. In college, I was the man. Oh, I was the man. Yeah. Hung out with the coolest guys, best looking guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Had a cool car. Stealth, twin turbo, big stereo system. Couldn't get much more propped up than I was. Well, what did God have to do to me? The further I was propped up and proud, the further He had to bring me down. It's His deal, not mine. Yeah, so I was driving dominoes. At night, to try to make ends meet with a newborn baby. Working, working in the day, miserable as I could possibly be, working at a chiropractic clinic where they were doing every new age technique in the book. Miserable. Because I was getting a revelation on all these new age things were wrong. So I was miserable everywhere I turned. My, 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 my wife was just pure misery. Pure. Torture. Torture. Nothing compared to what I went through two and a half years ago, though. Or two years ago. Wouldn't even compare. Wouldn't even compare to that. There's nothing... See, that's what God's had to do to me to humble me. Was it for my benefit? Yes. Am I just sinlessly perfect now? Walk in perfection? No. (laughs) No. That's why I got so mad the other day when I was hearing that man preach saying, God can only use you if you're a clean vessel and and fit for the master's use. Okay. 
listen, I have no problem with being a clean vessel and fit for the master's use and all. But you're laying something on a person that they can't bear. I had a ton of sin, a ton of world in my life. The ditch didn't come out overnight. I got saved by reading a book called An Out to Global Occupation by Gary Kaw. The verses that were quoted were NIV. When I got saved, I didn't have any church to go to. I was paranoid of, 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 the, of the charismatic church. I went to no church. And then, I, and then I met my wife. And, you know, that's worst case scenario there. All the junk she was involved in. Met my ex-wife. And really, from a biblical standpoint, had no, no business being with her whatsoever, but really didn't have a whole lot of people to tell me any different. So I was with her for three and a half years. And that was pure agony, but I had to have the world purged out of me, and it wasn't going to come out any other way other than through agony. You get purged through agony many times. And I only thought I saw agony with her. So, really, it's all for our benefit. Now, let me ask you a question. Oh, I don't want to go through that. Brother Johnson, I, I couldn't bear that. Well, are you going to be able to bear it when you get to heaven and you're saved? If you're saved at all. And if you're not saved, yet so as by fire. And all your works, all your rewards are burned up as wood, hay, and stubble because you never wanted to give that stuff up. Whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. Chasteneth means spankings. And with me, he had to use double lot grit, coarse sandpaper. Would I go through it all again in order to get right with the Lord? Absolutely. Am I mad at God for it? No. He did it because he was merciful. Could I have resisted the Lord? Yes, I could have resisted the Lord. But I, 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 and I didn't. I, I don't know. I'll be honest with you. When you get to that level of humility, when you're humbled, that low as I've been, <laughs> you don't really, you can't really resist it. I, I don't know. I, I, mean, I can't imagine resisting it because you'd even be in more agony. You, you would. You'd, you'd be in more, it would be worse. I knew when I was going through that stuff that if I didn't draw closer to God, especially this last go around, if I didn't draw closer to God than I'd ever been in my life ever, that I would die. I would die because physically what I was going through and mentally and emotionally, I couldn't bear it. I would have, my body, I would have had a nervous breakdown. I don't know what would happen to me. I don't think I physically could have taken it. So what it did is it forced me closer to the Lord than I'd ever been. I totally relied on the Lord. Well, that's sometimes, many times, where God has to bring us in order to make us vessels fit for the Master's use. Or in order to get us to that point where we can be used of the Lord. Am I saying I've arrived? No, but I'm a lot closer than I was 13 years ago. You know, when I got saved. So anyway, that, that's just a little bit of my testimony. Not proud of it, but I, I am proud of the fact that that um I guess now I wonder when he's the word proud. I'm glad what the Lord's done. I'm glad what he's done. I'm glad I'm also through that time. I don't know what's gonna lie in the future, but I'm glad that's behind me. <laughs>
No. Now, had my life not been so stinking full of the world and of sin, would God have had to do all those same things to get me to where I'm at now? Probably not. Unless I really insisted on holding on to those things. But that's why the Bible, I think, says, Whom the Lord... Who much is forgiven loves much. When they, when the uh, people came to Jesus and they said, well, you know, I believe it was when Mary Magdalene had the alabaster box and, and, and she anointed Jesus' body for the burial and she wiped her, her tears with her hair on his feet. And then they came to him and they said, you know, why do you let this harlot or whatever do this? And, and, and whom is forgiven much loves much. So, if you've come out of the pit, it's easier to understand that concept than it would be if you were somebody that had grown up in the church their whole life and had never got into all that stuff. In a way, I have an advantage from that standpoint. Because I've been... um, um, So, I guess in a way, I have somewhat of an advantage... In what I've been through, (laughs) it's a brutal advantage. It was a brutal advantage for me to to have to go through it. But in some ways, a person that's saved out of a lot of sin does have advantages over somebody that's just never known it, in a way. And I'm not saying that's ideal either. I'm not saying that's the way God would have it. But when it does happen, it's a good thing. It's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing either way. But I have a perspective that a lot of other people don't have, I guess is the point I'm trying to make, that, that in, that, in that regard. So, and again, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. Well, do you pray for the fear of the Lord? I think it's imperative that you pray for the fear. I don't even care if you have a lot of fear. Pray for it. Because as you're going to see, there is more blessings connected with the fear. Everybody's always saying, well, God, don't hear my prayer. Uh, I got all this sin in my life and I live like the devil and I can't why, understand why I don't hear my prayer. There's no fear in your life. If, you, if there's all that sin in your life and you're living like the devil, there's no fear. Well, the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord cannot hear me. And we're going to talk about that too. You've just cut yourself off from God because of the way you're choosing to live. Well, I don't like the fear of the Lord. Well, you better you better get used to it because you're going to fear Him at the judgment seat of Christ big time. Not going to be pretty at the judgment seat of Christ for the, for the majority of people that make it there. So it says, and He will show them His covenant. Who? Them that fear Him. So you think maybe that has something to do with your Bible study? Well, I got no fear of God. I just don't understand. I I, I feel like I, my, my I pr- feel like the ceiling's brass when I pray. Nothing's getting through, and I just don't get anything out of this book. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, probably you're not even saved. But if you are saved, how is God going to show you His covenant if there's no fear of God in your life? So maybe that has something to do with the Holy Spirit showing you what's in this book. Sure couldn't hurt. <laughs> I mean. I believe with everything that I'm giving you today, all we're doing is erring on the side of safety. Even if you say, well, I don't know, I don't want to split hairs on that. Yeah, but this is just erring on the side of safety. I mean, most of it's just flat out obvious. 
Just what the Word of God says. Psalm 33 verse 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him. So the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him. That sounds pretty good. That means He's watching over me. What if you don't fear Him? Could we reverse the verse? You could reverse all these verses. And let me ask you another thing. How do you really truly get saved without any fear of God? How's that happen? Well, yeah, I'm going to like get saved. I'm at this Christian rock concert. And they give this altar call. And I gave my heart to Jesus. Yeah, Christian rock. Well, yeah, I get drunk and Jesus is just love and I just sealed the deal, man. You know, no big deal. I can go live like the devil, he still loves me. Well, I don't see any fear of God in that. How do you get saved if there's no fear of God? How do you get saved if you come before God, you don't humble yourself, let me ask you this. You're a sinner. And you go before God and you want to get saved. The Bible says you have to repent of your sins. You, you need to repent. It's not just saying a quick prayer and that's done with. You repent too. Repent means turning from your sin. Well, how do you repent of your sin if you're proud before the Lord and you have no fear of God, of what He might do to you as a result of your sins? Do you fear going to hell? Do you fear God? Do you fear the right things? Well, no, I didn't hear anything about that when I, when I got led through that little prayer. I didn't hear any of this. Well, if you're listening to this, you're hearing it now. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What's the wisest thing you could ever do in your life? Get saved? Up until that point, what matters? You could pray for somebody, well I pray this and I pray, and they're not saved, but really if you think about it, if you're not really praying for their salvation is the primary thing, what good are you doing them if they drop into hell one second after they're dead? What good have you really done them? Not really a whole lot of good. So, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him. That sounds like a good thing. Upon them that fear Him. And upon them that hope in His mercy. Do you hope in God's mercy? It's another thing you should pray for. Mercy. Mercy. Oh, I don't need to pray for mercy. I'm saved. I'm sealed. To the day of redemption. No. No. You better pray for mercy. Huh. I prayed for mercy. You'll pray for mercy when you go through a dark valley. I'm telling you, you will. You'll flat out. I mean, either you're going to do one of two things when you go through one of these valleys. Either you're going to harden your heart to God, or you're going to yield to God, and you're going to, and you're going to be broken before the Lord. No 
most people that would harden their heart toward God in this type of situation probably aren't even saved. Because God's probably putting them in that position just to basically separate the sheep from the goats. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.1, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, speaking lies and hypocrisy. See, their conscience is seared with a hot iron. The time's coming very soon when all this is going to start coming out. Right now we've got, we've got a whole nation that's playing church. You wait when it gets bad. We're going to know then who's who. It's going to be real apparent because the Christians that call themselves Christians are going to be turning on the fundamental ones that really are saved, the real remnant. They're going to turn on them like rabid dogs because they weren't ever saved. So a lot of this is going to, I believe, come out very, very, very soon. Then we're going to know. That's why the Bible, why God hates it when we're lukewarm. Because it allow, when we're lukewarm, it allows a society like we're living in right now. Oh, I could just be a fence straddler. I just do it. There's really no real persecution of the church yet. But when that comes, many will be offended. Many will be offended. And they're going to turn on us the worst. So, you hope in His mercy. Psalm 34 verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear Him. That's a good thing, isn't it? And delivereth them. Wow! I like that. But do you do you fear the Lord? Praying for What if you don't fear the Lord? Well, how's the angel of the Lord going to encamp around about you? No fear of God. How are you going to appropriate angelic protection? Let me tell you something. One third of the devil of, of the fallen angels fell with Satan. That left two thirds up in heaven. Two thirds? They, they out. Not only is God Almighty, you got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You got God the Father on the home throne, seated at the right hand of God Almighty. You've got Jesus Christ, who's seated on the right hand of God Almighty, God the Father. It says, as our heavenly advocate. Whoever maketh intercession for the saints. Meaning, he's up there praying for us constantly. The Bible says, now therefore become boldly before the throne of God. You shall make your petitions known. We can go boldly now into the Holy of Holies. We couldn't do that in the New Testament. But when Jesus Christ died and it said the veil was rent from top to bottom, we had now access into the Holy of Holies through the Holy Spirit now that lived inside us because now we are the temple of God. Which temple is holy? Different dynamic now we're dealing with. Way better if you really think about it. Way better. This covenant, it says, this covenant is a better covenant. Why do we want to go back to the law? Into the weak and beggarly elements when it says this is a better covenant. And that Jesus Christ did away with the curse of the law. Is the law sin? No. The law gave us... What the law did is it gave us remembrances. It, it, it let us know what sin is. I had not known sin had I not known the law. The Bible says that very clearly. So we're, in, we're under a better covenant. So, if we want to appropriate angelic protection, obviously, number one, you've got to be saved. Okay. Humble and a contrite spirit before the Lord. Fearing the Lord. Hoping in His mercy. 
oh, I don't like any of that. That means i got to maybe get on my knees and maybe humble myself before God. My, 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 my preacher's telling me that, that um, God just accepts me any way I am and, and, and that, you know, just keep plugging away at it and keep doing the best you can do and it'll be okay. Well, you need to read your Bible and you need to get a right Bible. You need to get a King James Bible and read what the Bible says because right now, most of the pastors are hirelings and they have no care for the flock. What is a hireling? Somebody that's hired for money. And they're doing it for filthy lucre. Well, isn't that what the Pharisees and the Sadducees did? They were doing it for filthy lucre. Not only that, why? So they could have a nice standing in the church. So everybody, oh, Rabbi, Rabbi, what a holy man of God. What a joke. What a stinking joke. The Bible says they that will be last will be first. Do you seek to be last? I really try sometimes, many times when I'm out, when, when, when I'm convinced, I try to be last. Because that's the best reward. Is if you're last. <laughs> How does God get you to that point? Humbling you? Oh, that's not fun. Better you learn in this life than the next. God can't use a proud vessel. He can't do it. Everything that I'm telling you today is, is for your benefit. Everything, and I'm preaching as much to myself as I, and I'm, and, and you know what's crazy? The Lord showed me this, even as a baby Christian, started showing me this stuff about fear of the Lord, humble, contrite heart. Doesn't mean I implement it all instantaneously, but this was one of the first things God showed me. And yet I never heard it preached in the church. It was like non-existent. Oh yeah, they touch on a verse here and there. But never a dedicated... This is going to... I don't know how long this is going to go. Because I've got more pages to go. And I'm about out of time right now. I, I, I want to get to the first page here. And then I'll stop. Um, so then it says that... Um, let's go to Psalm 34 verse 9. <clears throat> Psalm 34 verse 9 says, Oh, fear the Lord... He, his saints, who's supposed to fear God? Well, everybody's going to fear him one day. <laughs> when he comes back, King of kings, Lord of lords, on that white horse, with a, vesture, with a vesture dipped in blood, and the sword of the Spirit going out of his mouth, at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, oh yeah, all men are going to see and fear and declare the work of God. Man, that gets me fired up thinking about that. <laughs> Man, I can't wait. It says, Oh, fear the Lord, ye His saints. There's no fear of God being preached in the churches. If it's not preached on, and they're not seeking it out when they're at home, and they got a false corrupted Bible anyway, how are they even going to know about it? Well, if it was really important, my pastor would have told me. You're going by man's teaching. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17.5 Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. When you trust in man, you trust in flesh. And then, what's the natural byproduct of that? Then your heart is going to depart from the Lord. Well, but it, it felt so right. It might, might, Well, your heart deceived you. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If you go into your typical church nowadays and you don't do any other study beyond what they're telling you and you go there and you warm the pew for whatever, 
most likely you're going straight to hell. And you're being lied to. You're being deceived. Totally being deceived. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Galatians 4.16 Do I love you enough to tell you the truth? Well, your pastor doesn't love you enough to tell you the truth. And I'm not... If there's a pastor listening to this recording right now, I'm not telling... Speaking this talk, I'm talking to the majority of pastors in this country that don't even preach true gospel salvation. Some feel-good gospel... And they're not even using the right Bible. And they got all kinds of sin in their own church. How are you going to get saved in a church like that? How is the Holy Spirit even going to be dwelling there to convict anybody to get saved? Think about that one. You've got so much sin in your church. It's like a breeding ground for demons. That How is the Holy Spirit going to dwell there? And then the Bible says... Proverbs 14.12 and Proverbs 16.25 it said two times in Proverbs there is a way which seemeth right unto a man but the end thereof are the ways of death what seemed right to me this message the end thereof are the ways of death you know am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth yes you are my enemy I don't like what you're saying fine I don't honestly I don't care very much I don't want you to go to hell But I am not going to have men putting pressure on me to keep from preaching the truth. I would rather die. And I mean that. I've come out of enough churches. I would. I would rather die for the Lord than compromise and condescend to men anymore in my life. I'm I'm, I'm done with it. Well, that's not a message of love. Yes, it is a message of love. I love you enough to tell you the truth. They don't. They're hirelings. Okay? Jesus rebuked a lot of people. He preached a lot of really hard things that a lot of people... Do you read the book of Matthew? And tell me, oh, I don't believe a lot... You better go to the book of Matthew because that's not a fun book to read. I'm telling you right now. Go to Matthew. So you go to the book... You, you go to the book of um, Matthew. You try that one out for size. <laughs> that's some hard stuff in there. Um, so, you know, listen, I love you enough to tell you the truth. That's why I'm doing this, okay? The Bible says if we go further with this frame of reference, Psalm 34, 9, O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. These all sound like good things to me. I know I'm preaching kind of harsh, but because it's never preached. But all this is blessings I'm, I'm talking about. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints. For there is no want to them that fear him. Could that be in regard to the Lord's provision? There's no want to them that fear him. Hmm, that sounds pretty good to me. But see, they want, there's no want. They want that part. But they don't want the, the fear of the Lord stuff. Can't have it. It's not, it's not like Burger King religion. You get to have it your way. You know, it's not. Or grilled cream religion. A little dabble, do you? It's not that. You can't have it your way. This is God's book. It's His rule book, not mine. I'm just pointing out what's obvious. 
Okay? So there, another blessing connected with fear of the Lord. Connected with humility. See, what does fear of the Lord breed? Humility. If you really fear God, a natural um, byproduct of that is humility, contriteness, tears. See, fear of the Lord, from what I've seen, this is one of the reasons I believe God showed me all this. Because I've prayed for the fear of the Lord since I've been a baby Christian. If you have one attribute working in your life, if you have just fear of the Lord working, do you know how many things that takes care of? People always say, Oh, I got this problem, I got this problem. This. See, they're not... They're losing it. Because they're, they're looking at the... I'm looking at the, what I'm telling you today is so foundational. So, and the Bible says in Proverbs 11 verse 3, it says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, if you get saved and you've never taught about fear of the Lord, or you really don't have any, you're probably not even saved anyway, and I'll say you could be, but your foundation is based on, on a lie. Well, then what can the righteous do if your foundation has been destroyed? If your foundation is truly established on fear of the Lord, and it's something you pray for, do you know how many other things just take care of themselves? If fear of the Lord is really operating in your life, you will have really no choice but to be humble. You will really have no choice but to be contrite. You will really have no choice but to pray for mercy and to see yourself. I'm not saying as maybe God sees you because I can't. You can't superimpose yourself into His shoes. But you will know from whence the pit from which you were dug from. You will understand. Um, what, where God's brought you from. So many of these other things just take care of themselves when you pray for the fear of the Lord. So in other words, what I'm telling you right today is, a, is something that you can do to greatly simplify your walk and your life as a Christian. If you just do this one thing, try it. Don't take my word for it. Try it. And, and see what happens. See what happens. It, I'm telling you, it works. It really, really works. If there's anything God has ever shown me since I've been saved, it's this. I've never even preached a whole dedicated message on this right now, but it's almost like all this thing's being brought to my remembrance as I talk, to, talk this day, because God showed me so much. This, this I'm not really going to be doing this justice, this subject, because there's so many other little things that, that we can look at. But we're going to hit the high points. Now, here's another one. Proverbs 85, verse 9. Surely his salvation is nigh unto them that fear him. Oh, well, didn't I make reference to this? Surely his salvation is nigh, nigh meaning near, unto them that fear him? It says, surely. Well, maybe that has something to do with getting saved. Huh. Wow. Does fear the Lord have something to do with getting saved? Well, it says it does here. How? Okay, let's turn this around. Surely His salvation is not nigh unto them that don't fear Him. You could say it that way too, couldn't you? Well, I just said a quick prayer at a Christian rock concert. I don't understand why I'm still living like the devil. You never got saved. I don't understand why I don't have any conviction of sin. You never got saved, dude. Get saved. Bible says it right here. 
How many times is that preached on? Well, shouldn't this be like a foundational as a prerequisite to getting saved? Well, what's one way to breed fear of the Lord when you tell them about salvation? Well, maybe you might want to let them know about hell. I'm not saying that's the only thing you should mention, okay? I'm not saying hell should be the only thing you emphasize and just take Jesus out of the picture. I'm talking about he's the thing that keeps you out of hell. Wouldn't that make you fear God if he thought you could throw you into hell? It's, the Bible says, be not afraid of what man can do. You be afraid that they can cast both body and soul into hell. Most Christians need to read that verse to call themselves Christians because they're going to get both body and soul cast into hell because they're not even saved. Well, but that's not a kind Jesus. Listen, it's not my rule book. It's not my rule. See, once you get this right though, He is a kind, gentle, merciful Savior. But you can't go before Him proud and, 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 and have all this pride and sin and junk in your life and think you're okay with God. It doesn't work that way. If you have a kid and he is a devil, are you going to... How can you show mercy? He'll just become more of a devil. But if you have a kid who's broken before you, who fears you, that's, that's a humble... I mean, as a dad and having Taylor, I know that, that she fears me in regard to like a, like a reverence type of thing. And when you really see that, it's, it's hard to be mad at her. Now, I'm talking about if she's really, really sincere. I'm not talking about just acting like she fears me because she doesn't want to get in trouble. But i got to believe God looks at it a similar way because if we really fear God and we go before Him and we're humble and we're contrite and we confess you know, that we cannot do it apart from Him and that we are nothing apart from Him. What is the vine apart from, the, or what is the branch apart from the vine? The Bible says in John 15, it says you can do nothing apart from me. Nothing. That is seeing yourself in right standing to God. Okay, so if we really have that, op, that, that operative going, God can have mercy on us and God can use us and God does look at us and God does put our tears in a bottle and, 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 and God does pity them. I want His pity. I want His pity. I am preaching the most merciful message today that I can preach in regard to this subject. I am. I, I don't see how much more merciful I... Does it because I want to keep everybody in bondage and everybody in abject terror and fear? The Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why does it say that? New Testament also talks about the fear of God. We're going to look at that too. I'm telling you the messages that aren't getting preached in the church and that's why the church is in the state it's in. This is one of the primary reasons why the church is in the state it's in is because they've been lied to. Because all they've heard is one side of the story. Many times you can hear these guys preach on, on radio and TV and, and think that the message is maybe even biblical. It's what they're not telling you is the problem. So I'm almost done here. So, surely his salvation is nigh, near unto them that fear him. Sounds like that's one of the prerequisites for salvation. That glory may dwell in our land. There's no glory hardly at all dwelling in our land. When you have a, a nation who's killed, was it 45 million babies? 
1973, since Roe versus Wade, that has sodomites openly protesting for their pride in the streets. Gay pride. Give me a break. Abomination in the sight of God. That glory may dwell in our land. Maybe because there's no fear of God for the Christians in the churches. They're not even Christians, most of them. They think they are, but they're not. They're, de- they're deceived of their own hearts. How can glory dwell in the land? When there's no fear of God in the land. How, how can salvation come to a nation where there's no fear of God? How's anybody going to get saved? We try to get saved, anybody saved anymore in this country. It's about, it's about a hopeless endeavor. I'm serious, it really is. Do I still put out tracks? Yes. I don't want their blood to be upon my hands. Is it because I have no faith? No, I'm being a realist. You go, to a, you go to a country where persecution is, those people can typically get saved. Here in America, it's about impossible anymore. Because of this dynamic, no fear God. One last verse. Psalm 103, verse 11. For as heaven is high above the earth, it's pretty high, for as heaven, there's three heavens, there's a first heaven, there's a second heaven, and there's a third heaven. This is the heaven, it's in regard to the third heaven, where the throne of God is, where, where heaven is. For as heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. What if you don't fear Him? How is His mercy going to be great toward you if you don't fear Him? Oh, brother, that's just Old Testament. Uh, don't give me that. Don't give me that. This book is profitable for doctrine, for all manner of living. Okay? Does that mean that every single thing that's in the, New, the Old Testament applies to us today, like all the Levitical... No, I'm not saying that. I even, went, I even mentioned it that we're under a better covenant, and we're not under the law. Okay? But should we sin that, that may, grace may abound? No. So, I've just given you some today. I'm going to give you a whole bunch more in the preceding uh, week or weeks on fear of the Lord. Um, I hope this has been a blessing to you. And I'm going to go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do love you. We thank you for this day, Lord God in heaven. I do pray, God, that you bless the efforts of this day. I pray, God, wherever your word is being preached worldwide, Lord God, that your fear would be upon that word, that your blessings would be upon it, that many would get saved, Lord God, that your name would be glorified. Lord God, for when it's all said and done, when we're into eternity a thousand years, all that's really going to matter that was done, Lord God, was that would be that your name be glorified and that many souls would be saved. That's what's going to be remembered. The things that were done through you, through the power of the Holy Spirit. The things that were not burned up at the judgment seat of the Christ. Wood, hay, and stubble will not be remembered a thousand years from now. Being saved yet so is by fire, Lord God, is not the, op- the, the best way, obviously. I pray, God, for anyone hearing this, this audio recording, that they would choose that better way, Lord God in heaven. And I just pray, Lord God, that you do it by the power of the Holy Spirit, through your angelic host, Lord God, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You said in your word, God, is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. I pray to God you do whatever it takes, Lord God, this day, for your name to be glorified, for many people to get saved. Lord God, I pray to God that your Holy Spirit would richly dwell upon these, in this room, Lord God, 
upon myself, upon the body of Christ, Lord, that your fear would be upon us, that we would accomplish your will. Lord God, that we would humble ourselves before you, that we would seek these things, that we would seek the fear of the Lord. Lord God, that, that, that you would give us godly, holy, contrite hearts, tears, Lord God, before you. And that, Lord God, at the same breath, I know those are the people that you can use so that we can be used and that we don't stand before you ashamed. We love you, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that you would forgive us, Lord, for any and all sins that we have committed in any way, shape, or form, God, that we would come before you clean, God, for you say in your word, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. We humble ourselves under the almighty hand of God, Lord God, and we praise you and we thank you for all these things. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.